You are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast. I am super excited because we have Ed Buckley, the CEO of PeerFit, a platform that allows you to gain easy access to a variety of fitness studios and gyms, empowering you to personalize your journey to wellness so you can <laughs> so you can lead a more active and healthier lifestyle. That was a that was a mouthful. I uh, should have summarized that, that a little pretty. bit. <laughs> I, I almost had it. I, I practiced that flow a little bit last <laughs> night and then I just totally screwed it up. But that's okay because this is our podcast and I can mess things up. And um, we're just gonna roll with it. Unedited, we're not gonna start over. Good? <laughs> Ed, what's up, man? Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. By the way, so can I go ahead and hire you to be my hype man from hype now man, on yes. whenever I get intro at conferences? <laughs> Dude, I think I would be very good at that role. I'll just get get some music we're talking about right before the podcast, talking about having some hype music in here, getting the energy level up because for those of you that watch and listen to the podcast, we do this at eight o'clock in the morning, and I think sometimes that is a little bit difficult for people. It's not difficult for everybody. It's really not difficult for our fitness people. That's like the oh, we've been part. up for a while. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been getting my steps in all morning. Don't yeah, worry. There you go. And uh, but it is difficult for some, like getting that energy level up at eight o'clock in the morning. And and maybe once we have our own studio at some point, we won't have to stress about it too much. There you we, go. we can do it at eight o'clock at night with beers in our hand instead. That's called beer fit, not peer fit. <laughs> maybe maybe that's what we can, beer fit segment. Sponsored by Pure Fit. <laughs> That's what when, uh, whenever we do a workout and then go up to happy hour afterwards, that we, we call it Pure Fit to Beer Fit. <laughs> do you really? That's yeah, awesome. really do. That's that's it. Well, I want to make sure I get invited to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, thank you so much for being here. Um, we love to. So, I mean, the first time I actually met Ed was, I think, speaking at the Entrepreneurship Club on campus years ago. I don't even know when this was. I mean, it, it must have been literally seven years ago, yeah, maybe. I mean, it was a time. long time ago. Um, and and that was the first time that I had even like come come to know anything about the business and hear about it. And, um, and I think that's what's really cool about Gainesville, especially this community going back to the University of Florida, two organizations like the Entrepreneurship Club and even classes. I can't tell you how many professors reach out to me and say, hey, come in and hey, will you share your story? Will you speak to the entrepreneurship class or whatever it is? And, and I love that so many entrepreneurs here do that and give give back their time. So um, so thank you for doing that. And um, it was it was awesome getting to know you, know you then. I, it's funny, what's so great about the Gainesville Business Network is that Everybody's connected on LinkedIn, Facebook, somewhere, and you're always in the know. You always know what's going on with with businesses. You, you know, you see stuff get shared between the network. Oh, I've been watching the and, podcast yeah, yeah, for, like, for months. Yeah, <laughs> and has it been months? Well, before you started, you started <laughs> probably two or three months ago right. doing the the video blogs, right? So I've done. Yep. So I've been vlogging yep. since uh, March 2017, and actually that's kind of that's kind of an interesting interesting story. That's kind of when everything really kicked off because I started vlogging, and I'm like, you know what? And really that came around because I was like, I want gains. I mean, I want new scooters for less to be the scooter capital of the world, right? I'm like, so if we're going to do that, then we need to let people know on a national scale who we are. So how do we do that? We record everything we do. So I hired a full time videographer, came in videoed you know what we did on a daily basis followed me around with the camera and slowly people were like seeing that all the time on Facebook and be like Colin you're the video guy can you help me with video can you help me with video I just need to pick your brain about stuff and and slowly things have led up 
up to this, up to a vlog that I do for myself. We still do a vlog for new scooters for less, and and now we do a ton of videos for other businesses, which is which is great too. So um, yeah, it's been an interesting ride from that point, but. Um, Good choice of words, ride. Yeah. From the guy who sells scooters. <laughs> exactly, and, and we're about to go into that right now. It's about to get crazy around here. So we always like to start with the origin story, man. Like, just tell everybody how this business even came about. I mean, you you went to the University of Florida. What year did you graduate? Let's start there. Um, three times. I just <laughs> telling them the other day, I don't actually remember the date of the last one, but uh, I know when I got here. So I got to the University of Florida in 2004. I uh, was went to high school in North Carolina, and really I had scholarship offers to NC State, UNC, and Florida. And I was like, I gotta get out of North Carolina, right? Like you think about when you were 17, 18 years old, you're like, I just, I have to get away from home. So I came down to Florida. My family was originally from here. So I grew up as a kid, as a Gator fan, and that's why obviously I applied here. And, and you know, I graduated in three years, and so that extra year was was a free year as I thought about it, and that's when I started my first company, got into worksite wellness, loved it, made enough money doing my first company to come back to grad school. Went to Florida for my master's in public health policy, I was a fitness instructor at the time, and kind of it all just came together. We kept hearing people at, at the gym say, man, I love group fitness, but, there's always a but, right? But I'm scared to try a new class on my own. I love classes, but, I can't go to this other place. I love new classes, but I'll only follow this instructor. And it was like, hey, this is the number one reason why people join a gym is four classes and four instructors, but there's all these restrictions around it. There's all this information gap on it. At the time, uh, schedules were PDF printouts, not on your phone. And so we knew that if we could digitize access to the classes, the information, and allow it to be a social situation that you could hop between multiple places, that's where we knew kind of the future was. Granted, we've iterated the business model, you know, several times along the ways you should. Um, and, and here we are, right? Here we are where what we figured out was if people could hop around with their employer dollars, their insurance dollars, and have no friction and can invite their friends, family, and coworkers to come with them, that's, I mean, that's gangbusters, right? It's, that's the winning formula right there. So when did it like really launch? So we started the company as a legal entity um, seven years ago, so 2011. And then in 2014 is when we made the shift to say, we're gonna double down on enterprise health. So it was September of 2014 when we really, really went after enterprise health. So think about that, we're coming up on four years. So in four years we went from not having one employer client to you know, this fall, thousands of clients, hundreds of thousands of lives, all across the country. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, so, and you were talking about like, there's been several shifts along the way. Yep. I mean, can you tell us about like the, like one of the biggest? Yeah, going from direct to consumer to employers. I mean, that was, that was obviously the biggest one. I can give you kind of real quickly. Originally, it was almost like a Yelp for class reviews. I wanna be able to digitize calendars. I wanna merge calendars from multiple places into one you know, phone app. Um, then we went to, you could actually buy those classes. You could hop around between places. And finally, that's when we made the shift to, let's do this solely in the enterprise health space. Mm. And, um, and how recently was that? When, when, when did the shift occur? The shift happened in, in August, September, 2014. Okay, just walk us through a little bit of that decision-making process because, I mean, so I, I agree, I think it's important to recognize when like pivots and, and these types of things um, need to happen. 
I just think a lot of businesses are, they always struggle with like, is, is this the right time? Sure. You know, should, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to figure it out, right? Like, should, should we do this? Like, I don't know. And, and I mean, what was that decision-making process like and who was involved? And just, I, I just think that would bring a, a ton of value to a lot of our listeners who are entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, I, I think the trait to not pivot is something that's related to your just normal everyday personality people don't like change, people are uncomfortable with change. They would rather be in an uncomfortable current situation than an unknown future possible uncomfortable situation, right? Because they look and say, well, at least I know the uncomfortableness. They would almost rather fail where they are than leap to somewhere that they're unknown. That, that's what I would say, that's just a normal behavior of, of all of us. And uh, that's why I think a lot of people don't pivot. So for us, it was really simple. We'd been kind of circling around we knew that to go direct to consumer at national scale is 10x the cost to go employer. We always knew employers were gonna be an interesting you know, route for us. And we got into the Health Box Accelerator, which plugged us right in with the health insurance companies. And they looked at us the first day of the accelerator and said, I know you think you are a cool consumer product, but you're not. You're actually a great enterprise health product. And just listen to us, right? Just don't shut us down. Let us basically mentor you over the next couple of weeks. We'll, we'll get you in with some employers, just pitch to them, see how it goes. And we had nothing to lose, right? I mean, we weren't, it's not like we were scaling massively. We hadn't hit that inflection point. And we said, same thing, like, you know, what do we have to lose? And then we thought about it. What could you do if you were a consumer grade product inside Enterprise Health where they're used to really not fantastic quality products, right? You know, SaaS companies inside of insurance and employer world aren't really known for Amazon and Apple-like qualities and user experience. And so we were a direct-to-consumer option at the time and we were consumer-focused. And so if you could take that mentality and just change your distribution route of how you got to the consumer, you could get to them through the employer, we knew that would be a really nice marriage on both sides of the equation. Um, who was involved? I mean, really, it was our team. If, if you know anything about me, I'm, I'm not one for sitting around and mulling over a decision, right? It was like, it, we're doing this, right? There's no harm, no foul, let's go with it. And um, that's just kind of, I think, in our team DNA still today. <laughs> look, at, look at they're shaking their heads uh, next to us. If you can't see on the podcast, we have some of our team here. They're like, yeah, heck yeah. I mean, we're working on standing up an entirely new startup inside of the business right now. And the decision behind that was for a couple of weeks, we're like, yeah, this sounds like a good idea. Let's start exploring it. And we had uh, one of our insurance partners say, let's go build this. I'm like, Done. Let's let's create a new startup inside of PeerFit. So, uh, I think that's how quickly our team is. It's just in our DNA to make fast pivots um, and just head forward. Don't mull over things. That kind of reminds me of a story I heard of like Richard Branson. He'll be like, and he'll be getting in the elevator <laughs> with you know with team members going up to the offices for work, and in the elevator he'll come up with an idea, and then he'll be like, you know. Who wants to take that? Yeah. <laughs> and then a new business like you know spurs from it and stuff. I was reading a couple of his books and it's totally how he comes across all the time. So I was like, yeah. that's a good idea. Let's just spin that up as to a company and uh, someone fund that and go with it. <laughs> and we'll see how it works, always. Ty, what do you got? I've got a lot of stuff. Um, so the one, the one question I have as far you as- You only have one question for me? The first <laughs> question of many. Um, yeah. So when you guys did that pivot in the, uh, in the accelerator, um, what was kind of the first insurance company to take like the chance on you guys? How did, how did that first pitch go? And 
was it kind of a, a home run with them from the onset, or did you guys have to kind of work and, and find? I wish know. it was that easy. Um, no, so what happened was really, I, I think, a, a kind of a funny story. As part of being in the accelerator, Florida Blue was an investor in us. And so naturally you think, they're gonna be our first client. This is gonna be a slam dunk. We're a portfolio company of them. To this day, we still don't work with Florida Blue, which is the, the really kind of funny avenue, despite the fact that they're a shareholder and they've invested in multiple rounds. They're just, I mean, I think they weren't really ready to commercialize what they were investing in at the time. So, but we did have their name behind us. We did have the momentum behind us. We did get intros because of them. Um, and the other thing was, if you think about an order of operation standpoint, you're not gonna go to the top of the leverage ladder, which is an insurance carrier, and say, I know you have millions of lives, what you're doing is wrong, just do this. And by the way, I'm an unproven startup. What you have to do is you have to start at the bottom of the leverage ladder and find some employers, get them using it, make little you know iterations and pivots. Then go to a regional broker and say, okay, I've got some of your clients using it, you distribute it to more clients for me, make some pivots along the way. Then you can go to a carrier and say, let's do a pilot in some regions, make little pivots. Then by the time you're with the carriers and say, this is ready for national scale, you've literally custom made this to exactly what works. Rather than I think what a lot of companies do, and this is where you know your strength is always your weakness, if you're from San Francisco, New York, and you can get a lot of funding, you try to go to scale first. For us, it, we kind of stayed in the trenches and, and that gritty climb that isn't sexy, that takes a long time, that most people aren't willing to do. Most people, uh, if they get big funding, have expectations to fail fast, right? We always say that, fail fast. Well, if you go to scale with something that hasn't been truly vetted out, yeah, you're gonna fail fast. And for me, ultimate failure was never an option. Yes, you fail day to day, you can fail on a client, you can fail on a project, but ultimate failure was never an option. And so we knew we would find ways to make it work even when on paper things didn't make sense. And so that's what the process was about in my mind of every leverage ladder that you would take up, every rung on that ladder was vetting the product at that scale and then using that data to get to the next one. When I go above me, I say, by the way, did you look below me? All of these things are coming, you could be the first to get on there. That's how I, my personal vision of, of how you do startups is, is not go to scale first. Um, once again, not sexy, takes a lot longer. Here we are seven years later before we get to national scale, but I will tell you the ride was incredibly exciting. I, I learned a lot personally and professionally. I mean, the person you last met seven years ago is very different than the person today. Also, I have short hair now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's that's how I think our team has been able to evolve as, as you see, we're a completely remote company that has won several national culture awards. We've gotten all these kind of coveted contracts and relationships and it's because of our diligence to go off that. And you know, once again, it, it goes back to discipline. It goes back to ha the discipline to pivot is the same discipline that it takes to go through that process every day. And that's not really something that you can teach in a, a business school, or take a class on discipline. That just comes from watching and, and understanding, this is what I ultimately want and I'm willing to do anything to get it, including doing things that are uncomfortable and unnatural to me, and even sometimes sacrificing my own ego to say, man, I was totally wrong, and all of these other people have been giving me suggestions, why don't I listen to that? When you guys were first starting off and it was direct-to-consumer model, right? Mm -hmm. 
it was all just subscription based from those consumers. Like it was kind of packs. Think of uh, think of like those punch cards you get, and when you're done getting all the punches in them, they expire. And that was actually one of the cool aha moments. So we convinced all of these Gainesville places to let us sell parts of their inventory in this little kind of punch card. You get two personal training sessions at Gainesville Health, or you know, you get two sessions at Alter Ego Fitness and so on. And we would get to the end and we would do these customer surveys. And this was really enlightening. People would say, I loved your product. And then we would get this really terrible satisfaction rating at the end. We're like, but, but why? They said, well, because this was temporary. I loved it so much, but now I have to go back to my normal membership. I'm Interesting. Like, this is only good if you can do it in perpetuity. That's when it hit us of, this shouldn't be a temporary card. And think of that cost of acquisition. I'm gonna spend all this time acquiring a customer to have them for 30 days or 60 days. But if you can make it a subscription, same cost of acquisition, but now they're there, right? And they're coming back every single month. And, and um, you know, maybe that was something we could have figured out sooner if we you know, were more experienced or whatever, but those are not the questions you ask yourself. We figured it out. So when the business model changed, like how did the revenue model change? So in the sense of, it really wasn't all that much. It was, hey, before it was, I don't even remember what it was at the time, maybe it was $30 for you know one of those punch cards or $50. Now it was, hey, it's $50, but it's every single month. you know. And, and, and once again, we realized that Gainesville wasn't really the place to scale that. And it was a great place for us to learn a lot and have a, a nice ecosystem, but you weren't gonna scale a national direct-to-consumer product from Gainesville. And that's when we got the opportunity to go down to Tampa to go to Healthbox, and we never looked back, right? I mean, here we are today, and it was that direct-to-consumer kind of origins that let us be who we are today in the enterprise health space. Do you think that will change in terms of not being able, like direct-to-consumer out of Gainesville? Oh, here's the thing. I mean, like uh, yeah. this is. I mean, this is an important part of this podcast because I mean, one of the reasons that we're doing the podcast is because we're trying to, you know, convince students right that our talent here. We got so mm-hmm. top ten university. Like, hey, stay here. There's a lot of awesome things happening in Gainesville. Keep, like, keep the talent in Gainesville. I mean, look, we we stayed and our then, first few years here, right? right. So it, it wasn't that we couldn't start the company and and get it moving here. I think to get to the next level of scale. And, and to be honest, if we had done this starting in Tampa, I don't know if we would have ended up where we were, right? right. So, so there is that. And, and look, I love UF. I have, if for those of you who are on podcasts and on video, I have amazing University of Florida socks let's, going on. Let's see them. All right, let me, let me pop these <laughs> up here. Hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, let's see them. Can you get, is yep. that on the video? Oh Can yeah, you there you go. So I've got some great University good. of Florida socks um, with my <laughs> Pure Fit awesome. shoes, by the way. These are my Pure Fit shoes. Thank you, Team Pure Fit. Um, so look, I, I bleed orange and blue, right? I have three degrees from this school. I have taught here, I've mentored here, I've coached here. Um, so what's it, what's it going to take for Gainesville to be one of those places? From what I have seen out, and I've been I've been fortunate to travel to kind of all these major hubs, New York City and San Francisco, and watch what they do. What 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 Florida is going to take as a whole, and then Gainesville second is Florida's already started making the shift of how funding works. When we started. 
funding in Florida was exactly the stereotype. You have a bunch of kind of stingy angels who want you to jump over a thousand hoops and kiss their ring to get a fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollar investment, and the term sheet's going to be absolutely garbage. Well, that's not really conducive to starting a hundred consumer, you know, f- facing tech companies because you need ten of them to survive. But now in Tampa, for instance, there's been enough success where there is that kind of money, and now there's competition between the investors where. 100 different groups can get 100,000, 200,000, which is what you kind of need to have a bunch of early you know, starts. I still think Gainesville hasn't had that, which by the way, I'd like to say we've done our part because we liquidated a bunch of our Gainesville shareholders in December and returned millions of dollars back to this community uh, on a 10X return. So there is money out there. I would just like to, to say, so thank you to the early Gainesville investors and um, you know all of the hustlers in, at University of Florida go out and get some of that money because we just returned it. So I will say there's money in the community. Uh, there's starting to be more money in the community and I think that's what it's gonna take. It's gonna take some more successes so that there's more capital. And I don't mean to sound cliche because everyone always says, well, if there was just more capital, then this would work. It's not the fact that there's more capital, it's what it does to the investors. That That's the issue here. There is no reason for the investors in Gainesville to act any different than they did five years ago and six years ago. In Tampa, there are. There's so much money competing for the smart talent that you get to choose who you let in, right? And I will say this, we could get funding from San Francisco and New York and all of these places, yet we still choose to go to the well in Tampa because we like the investors there, we like what they're doing, and oh, by the way, Gainesville individuals, Tampa's two hours away, get in your car and come pitch, get that money from Tampa, and you can stay in Gainesville, it's cheaper. I think it's a great place to start your company because it's cheaper. But I do love Tampa. <laughs> going uh, going back to like the early days of the business, and and maybe we'll come back to some of that that Gainesville stuff because I mean obviously that's just a super important like part of of, of what we're doing and and yep. really trying to expose you know businesses that were started right here and, and why and why they have to leave Gainesville because I I want to to change that as part of the reason we're doing the podcast, um, but circling back to the the early days right like the. Long hair Ed. <laughs> Long yeah. hair Ed, and, and a lot of the bootstrapping mentality in, in the beginning. I mean, when when is it, a pro, like when did you know that you were gonna need to raise funds? Like so when, could, could and, Mike, and could you have bootstrapped this thing all the way? No, okay. but I could bootstrap the next one, I can tell you that now. <laughs> um, there were times where we raised capital and didn't raise capital, I mean like in kind of, leapfrogging successions. There were times where we're like, okay, this is not the time to go get more money. This is the time for us to put all of this on our personal credit cards or for us to put more money. And you have to understand, we were all grad students. It's not like we were sitting around with tons of money in our pockets. I mean, at the time, I was the only one who really had any amount of money from my previous company that I had done. Everyone else was just standard grad student and whatever you have, you have, you know? Um, so the, the original you know, $10,000 came from us. We put that in, we paid for developers overseas. I was in grad school at the time, so I was going to classes during the morning. I was working two jobs in the afternoon, and I was staying up all night with our programmers from India overseas. <laughs> so when people always wanna be like, man, I wanna be an entrepreneur, no, you don't. <laughs> I, was, I was honestly some days doing 20 hour days, and it, 
I mean, it was exhausting even for me and I pretty much don't sleep and I don't even drink coffee, but uh, it, it can it can be a lot. It can be a lot. And so there were times that it was our money. Then we raised some early seed and, and to the question it was, we went and got enough proof points where we said, this is worth building. This is worth investing in. And for everyone who always says, well, where do I start? Start wherever you need to. I mean, for us, it was, we have an idea. We built this like clickable wireframe. It was really ugly and terrible. I still have it saved today. Maybe I'll give it to you one day, Maria. Um, our director, or excuse me, our vice president of marketing center right there. She was just recently promoted, so snaps to her. Um, Yay, so so <laughs> for us, it was, let's build this clickable wireframe. And I, the, one of my skills that I brought to the table is I have no problem pitching to anyone, whether we have a product or not. We called 48 university recreational centers around the country. I spent my whole summer doing that. I spent every day on the phone and I called every single one of these rec centers and said, here's what we're building. You know, I've just sent it over to you. Let me walk you through it. What do you like? What do you not like? And then that way, at the end of summer, we said, okay, out of the 48, 40 of them said, this would be super helpful. This would be amazing to digitize our calendars. And Say that one more time. Out of 48. 40 of them. 40 of them. Thought it was an amazing idea. I mean, I even traveled and drove to some of them to meet with them in person. Then we went to just early friends and family and said, here's what we got, right? Here's what we want to build. Here's what it would look like. And of course, once again, they believe in you. They're like, uh, that's an ugly wireframe and whatever. I don't even understand online businesses, right? So, but luckily they believed in us enough to raise like an early seed round. I mean, I think back to, to then, I remember thinking how much money it was. It was $40,000 was our first seed round, 40,000. And and I think today, um, we, I mean, we, <laughs> We just raised $8 million in like 24 hours the other yeah. day, basically. So um, it, it is, and I remember, but once again, you learn those lessons. Like we had to gruelingly, you know, crawl to get 40,000. And then we got some traction with that. We, we built something, we had some traffic. And then we raised uh, another kind of friends and family round, right around $200,000 and same thing. Took months to do of $5,000 checks. And so when people, when I even think today about how easy, and I'm using air quotes here, easy it is to fundraise, it was because of the lessons, the hard lessons we learned, those really hard lessons of perseverance. And I would say that's sometimes why we got investors was because they're like, look, I have no clue what you're doing, but my God, anyone who's willing to work this hard to get a bunch of $5,000 checks from friends and family must really believe what they're doing. Were there any moments where you were just like, I mean, super down in the pits? Like, this is not gonna work, I'm not gonna make it. Like, I mean, you always get that in the back of your mind sometimes. I think as entrepreneurs, you just have that grit yeah. and that grind. Like, you're, you're gonna, you're, you are gonna succeed is the idea, like, Correct. you know what I mean? Yeah, I can definitively remember it's here. It relates to Gainesville, actually. I'll, I'll remove the names for the, the safety of the public here. Um, there was an investor who had committed to investing. I mean, we'd already gone through due diligence. It was a big sum of money. I was down in Tampa at Health Box at the time, and it was all a done deal. And I mean, we'd already hired more people, everything. And they called us up and was like, mm, not gonna happen. Oh no. I mean, literally not gonna happen. And and. At, at PeerFit, I've always done the fundraising myself. So my co-founders and the, the team always got to stay focused on the product and the experience so that they never got dragged into that. And I remember just sitting there feeling for the, oh, this is probably the only time my whole life I felt this way. I felt like someone punched me in my gut 
because I was gonna have to get on the phone and call my team and say, uh, you trusted me to get this and I told you it was a done deal because they told me and it, it isn't and we're out of options, but here we are today. So what happened after that? So like, I, how did you get past I that? called their partners uh, at, the, at the group and I said, what the heck just happened? And they said, I've, in all of our investments we've made, you know, 32 investments, this has never happened. It's a rubber stamp on the final day. Now's your time to prove if you're a startup CEO. You need to hustle and back channel and meet with every one of our partners and they're gonna not wanna meet with you because they know what they're gonna, you yeah. know what you're trying to do. But you need to get, you need to find ways, you need to find leverage, find other people that know them and you'll either get to them and get them to give you a second chance to come in and pitch or you won't and you're done. And at, at that moment, at least there was hope, right? There was a path, that, that's my forte. Right? Gritty back channeling and communicating. Yeah, I love that, you know? I, I can remember my conversation with my father that week and I called him and I said, I'm just gonna have to go hustle. And he says, well, son, that's what you've always been good at. Yeah. So. And cool. has that ever happened to you? Has there ever been like one of those like gut check moments, like right, like feel like feeling like you get punched right in the gut? And yeah, I mean, in a different in a different way. Um, being a professional golfer and having you know, giving up leads and you know, getting hurt in situations and seeing your career kind of go all over the place definitely makes you you know gritty and tough. And you know, I think it applies you know, when you're an athlete, you learn to deal with adversity. Um, so mine's a little different, but I definitely understand that feeling. I wanted to cycle back on something that you said, because I think this applies to Gainesville um, big time, especially with the Gator Hatchery and Starter Space and all of those things. Those first rounds can be so important. When you said it was that first 40,000 and then the friends and family round that was 200,000, um, you know, just hearing you go very quickly into it, there was a lot of homework, a lot of hustle, a lot of research, a lot of time invested to even be able to pitch to a friends and family. And I think a lot of people miss that. You know, they come up with an idea in a weekend and they think their friends and family are gonna invest in them. What advice would you give to those people at the hatchery or these people that, um, you know, that DM us or even we've had people on the podcast, you know, looking to take that next step. How do you go in front of someone that you've known all your life and ask them to invest in you? Um, what why were you so successful in doing that? So one of your last phrases you said there, to invest in you, that's, that's the first important thing. You're gonna go to these people and ask them to invest in you, not a company, not an idea. So there's my first piece of advice. The second is no one owes you anything. If I have a piece of advice or what I've seen from early startup people, no one owes you anything. Just because you have an idea, even if it makes sense to you and makes sense to, well, I've talked to my friends and it makes sense, Nobody owes you the right to invest in your company. It's on you and you alone to get that money. And if someone tells you no, it's not a, like, don't get mad at them. You didn't do a good enough job. I don't believe in good and bad. It's effective and ineffective. If you didn't get the yes, then you weren't effective enough. That's not a negative on you. Then what you should walk away from is say, so then what would it take to get a yes? So I can come back to you when I achieve those things. I always tell people of our early, investors, 80% of them told me no, at least once, multiple times. And once again, it was the fact that I was willing to come back to them 
the fact that I didn't get angry, the fact that I didn't get you know bent out of shape. Uh, there's times when, and Maria will know exactly what I'm talking about, there's times when our staff come to us and pitch something to us and we tell them no. And it is like, papers in the air, what? I can't believe you would tell me no. And once again, I have to pull them aside and say, you just pitched an idea and this is how you, uh, imagine, once again, like of all people, I always try to give them perspective, like, look who you're saying this to. I had people tell me, no, I'm not gonna give you money and your company might die. And we turn around and pitch them again a couple days later. You know, like, uh, that's what I would say here is, you, you need to ask them to invest in you. You need to be authentically passionate so that they can be passionate and don't get bent out of shape. No one owes you anything. And if, if you get told no, it is not, no is not a lasting thing. It's a cross-sectional moment in time. Right. That's all. I think the passion part is extremely important. And I think you always have to, it's either gotta be face-to-face or over the phone. And kind of mixing the two subjects we were just talking about. I remember like my gut check moment was Can that, you pitch someone through email? I mean, it's I mean, terrible. But people try. Oh, oh, I know, like, Jesse, like, like, I, I mean, I in business, people yeah. try. And I remember, so I was in a partnership in the early days from 2004 to 2006. Mm-hmm. And I remember when, I mean, it was literally at the start of the year, my business partner threw down, threw down some papers telling me that he wanted to split. And that was like, boom. Like, I mean, I was like, what, dude? Like, we're off, we're doing some incredible things. I cannot believe that we're having this conversation right now. I cannot believe this is happening. And I had, and I had to make the decision of, okay, like, am I gonna pat myself on the back? Hey, good effort, Colin, two years of being an entrepreneur and like now go and work in the real world again? Or are you gonna go back to square one, start literally starting over and like build this thing up, right? And I, and I remember that. And I remember making that decision that I was like, you know what, I'm gonna keep doing this. I'm gonna keep building this company, going after this vision that I had. And the first thing that I needed in order to do that was more money. Right, so I so I start I get on the phone with with friends and fam, with friends and family, and I start like talking to them, and do, when I start talking about my business, I, you're sold. <laughs> like the I mean everything that I'm saying, just the passion that I have in my voice when I just get going, people are people will just like yes. And, and they might not have necessarily, like you said, not necessarily believed in new scooters for less, but they believed in me and they believed in what I was gonna do. And um, in fact, you know, David Whitney at the University of Florida, he gave me the best compliment that I've ever received. And he, and he told me, he was like, he's like, I always bet on the jockey, not the horse, you know? Just, and, Meaning, like, he's betting on the CEO, right? The guy in charge, like, new scooters for less might not be it. Like, but he's willing, and and he hasn't invested in anything with us. But like, he's nor with us. So full disclaimer. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, full just, disclaimer. Just, just to put that out there. But like, but yeah, but I know he's invested in plenty of other companies and, and organizations. And um, but like I've, but he's always kind of been one of those mentors for me, right? And that anytime I reach out to him and I want to talk to him about business, he's always been very willing of his time. And um, and he just gave me that compliment. And and I think that that is critical. Uh, in business and and when if you're out investing or trying to raise money or do anything like your passion you like you have to sell yourself not necessarily the business absolutely i mean it's funny i didn't get any investment from a family member they're probably like the eighth or ninth person because they came to me and they go back to my father you'd think i hung out with my father all the time i really don't um so I was up in Atlanta trying to close a bunch of gyms as partnerships, and, uh, and I said, come into the city, Dad. He lives right outside of the city. So come into the city. 
and we go meet at this Irish pub, and we're just sitting there, literally, you know, been sitting there for 10, 15 minutes, and he just looks at me and goes, why haven't you asked me to invest in PeerFit? Oh, uh, honestly, I never wanted to put you in that position, you know, and he says, other people are investing in PeerFit, you clearly believe in it, you should come to your father, you know? And so like, that's kind of one of those, like he saw the passion that I could go pitch a stranger and I could go pitch people, you know, that, that I knew from around the University of Florida. And he's like, son, let me, you know, get in on this. If you believe in it, then my so goodness. So why didn't you? Like why, in those first stages, why didn't you go to your father? I have a complicated relationship with my family. Um, and frankly, I just didn't want to involve them in what I was doing. So it's it's pretty simple. It's, it's, I, I didn't grow up in a, in a family where it's like, oh, you need help, go ask your parents for help. That's that's not the family I grew up in. Yeah. So. It's funny, because, and I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast yet, but I've shared it in plenty, you know, talks that I go and do it at the University of Florida and that kind of thing. Um, but when I told my dad, out of 2004, you know, like, like hey, like I'm, I think I wanna go start a business. <laughs> he, he hates that I tell this, by the way. He told me, he's like, when you fail in six months, don't come crying to me for money. And I was like, that's, that was the motivational speech that I got, and, like, and he will be super like, upset that I share that story right now. Hey. <laughs> but, but you know what, it's funny because that-, that But that was a dose of reality you probably <laughs> needed. If your parents were just saying, oh, here's you can money. do whatever and here's money. Like, absolutely, I always think about, and I probably will not have kids, but should I ever have kids? And they come to me and say, oh, well, you were, you know, you were successful, why don't you give me some of your money? And be like, no, why don't you go convince some other people and get some validation and then come pitch me like a normal investor and then maybe I will. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is like after, shortly after that, started the business anyway, <laughs> and I go home like over the holidays. They were like, he was in the Air Force, so he's based. He was based in San Antonio, Texas, at this time. So I go home over the holidays, and of course, like being the good daddy, it's like, so you know, how's the business going? And I'm like, actually, really well. I was like, we have some private investors, and this, and our investment was different. Like these were private, these were loans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got we got these loans, and and I was like, and we're paying them some pretty high interest on these loans, and I'm like, this this is the interest that we're paying, and this is how much other these individuals have made, and he goes, like, I want to make that, <laughs> <laughs> and like, at, but at the end of that trip, like, he had made his first investment into our company, you know, and, and is one of the biggest supporters of, of anything that I do, um, but. It's funny because I sometimes look back at that and I kind of go, I wonder if he did that on purpose. Like I can't question sometimes. Right? I'm like, I'm like, I wonder I if he did that on purpose as as that motivating factor. Like, cause he just knowing how stubborn that I am and being like, All right, like, Colin's you don't go need and do confidence, anyway. right? Like, he didn't need. There, there might be people out there who need their parents to be like, oh, you know, if if I don't have that support, I'm not gonna do it. Look, I'm looking at you like. You don't need somebody to be like, oh, you've got permission, here's the confidence, right. Colin, right? <laughs> he probably knew what you actually needed was some fuel of, you can't do it, go yeah. run faster, right. prove me wrong. I, and I think we've talked about that before, I get super motivated by that. And I, and I don't know if it's necessarily healthy, but people telling me that I can't do something, I just love, I love to stick it to people. <laughs> well, your dad was a good CEO or coach, you could look at it that way. Yeah. I know when I've coached a lot of basketball um, in my life, you've got 12 kids with different personalities, they all need to be charged up different ways. Some, you need to cuss at them a little bit, you know, and tell them, you know, talk a little shit. The other ones, you know, you need to coddle and they can still play together and play hard or, or whatever in any business. I think learning personalities and dealing with people is why 
ultimately you're successful, especially here, you know, with your team, it's infectious. You know, same with Ed. It's you can see it, even though it's a remote company, you know, having the company culture you guys do is super impressive and it it starts with just researching the website if you want to work there or if you are interested. Um, you know, I saw this one quote where and this is cool. I like that you, you know, 10 plus phone meetings a day. I do the same thing sometimes. I definitely don't get 18,000 steps in. Um, <laughs> you know, if I'm so playing I'm golf, so I might. Far, but, right. you know, cool. that's cool stuff like that. I think that's that's cool. Yeah, let's dive into that for a minute. Because I, I mean, I've almost night, done 5,000 this morning, just so you guys know. Dang, to dude. start. I mean, how long's the stride? <laughs> I don't know, honestly. I, I don't know. So I walk really fast. Yeah. Some, some people say I float. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the culture for a little bit now, yeah. since you kind of went that direction. Um, I mean, you know, I'm always like I've like I've known Ed. I've always been in the network. I'm like, oh, I'm still gonna do. I'm still gonna do a little homework here. I'm gonna do a little digging, right? And so I'm like checking out like Glassdoor and the, I mean, you guys five stars, right? I mean, and like with a lot of remote team members, and that kind of. I mean, what? How do you keep the culture? so healthy because in my opinion from anything that i've learned in business over the 14 my 14 years is that culture is the lifeblood of any organization and if it's not right you are you're not right <laughs> like bad stuff is going to happen so just like walk us through that like what are what's the biggest challenge in keeping a healthy culture especially as quickly you know as you grow so quickly yeah i i think that it is the CEO's number one job. And I look at your board behind you and there's all these financial metrics and growth. And look, all of that stuff can take care of itself, right? You hire really smart people, you set a great vision. There are great people to help manage money and operations and, and marketing. It's really difficult to have culture be anyone's responsibility other than all the way at the top. Mm. Any priority that starts at the top, whether people want to or not, it becomes important. It becomes the thing that matters most. And you know, whether it's, it's right or wrong, you can debate that all day. For me, there is nothing more important than the morale and the relationships and having a positive attitude throughout the culture. And if you, if you hopefully talk to me for any amount of time, you realize very rarely do I try to get negative or pessimistic. I always say don't bring up a problem unless you wanna hear a solution. And I think that because I act that way with my direct team, they act that way with their direct team and thus they act that way with everyone. And then the other thing that, that we do is I do not isolate myself. Look, I'm here in Gainesville with some people. I travel and I, I, I personally make sure to try to have my fingerprint on every department always and vice versa, let them influence me. Coaching is a two-way street. I spent this Sunday three hours with one of our department heads and it was all a cultural conversation. And it was not, you know, what are you unhappy about or what do you wanna see change? It was two-way street. Hey, how can I help you? And what suggestions do you have for our leadership team? You know, so, you are never done learning, is what I would say. You're never done learning. You're never done listening. You can always take little nuggets. And just because someone, and I use air quotes here, complains to you, brings an issue to you, that doesn't mean that you can't learn. Even if you're like, they're just complaining, which by the way, almost never happens in PeerFit, just because I don't really believe in complaining. I don't think any of our team really do. Um, but if someone has an issue, even legitimate or illegitimate, 
there's something to be learned there. How did we get into that situation where that person felt the need to complain or have a problem or feel slighted? Once again, it might, not, it might not be the issue that they're thinking, but I think procedurally wise, what failed in our culture to allow that? What failed in our communication? And that would be the other piece of advice I have, which is culture is directly tied to communication. If you are not proactively and consistently communicating, I would say it's gonna be very difficult to have a good culture. And it, that's one thing I probably will say I have to get on our leadership on. Most of them are great doers and, and they're fantastic department heads, but they don't like to share as much as I do. They get on me for how much I like to share with everyone. And so I think we constantly find that balance. They tell me to share less with everyone and I tell them to share more with mm -hmm. everyone. And so that's, that's the give and take is when one of us prevails on certain issues. And once again, sometimes they, we follow what they want to do and sometimes they follow what I wanna do. And so there is no ultimate authority. Everyone is a team, everyone communicates, everyone should be learning from one another. That, that's what I would say our culture's about is is about respect between everyone, which sounds kind of cheesy, I know, but it really is just, we all respect each other. We all can call each other out and understand like, like I'm not calling out to be mean or malicious. I'm doing it because I, I love you, right? I, I respect you and I want you to be part of our team, but I disagree with your process you might be following. And, and it makes it really healthy to, to be able to pivot, to be able to, to hear suggestions and, and criticisms and feedback from people. So. You know, that, that's what I would say. I don't know, Maria, why don't you come over here and talk to people about, about the culture, huh? You can come on, come you can on come on here, screen Maria. real quick. So everyone, uh, Maria is about to come on. She is our vice president of marketing, yeah, or V, as we call her. Uh, make sure she can see on the camera. Yeah, put, put those headphones on. So. Okay. <laughs> you just lower, lowered Ed's mic. Don't worry, don't worry I'll, uh, I'll just bend over <laughs> like and talk the table to you. there, Ed. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so, so Maria has been with us for some time, and and I think she she has a great viewpoint because she's with me a lot. I mean, she's practically my shadow. She comes to many, many projects that we work on together, but at the same time, we have no problem disagreeing with each other. And so, you know, you've worked at a lot of different places. You worked at places that had good culture, and some of the people we have on staff, she's worked with. So. You know, I'd I'd love to hear kind of your take on things. Yeah, I think I think Ed brought up a great point. You know, culture and communication really tie together, and I think culture is a word that gets thrown around a lot. It's really easy to say like, oh, I want a great culture, but really, it stems from community, right? Culture really needs to stem from the community that you build. And I think I look at I look at our department, the marketing department, because they're the ones that I talk to with regularly, and these are these are a group of individuals where we have built our own little mini community within PeerFit, and we are, as, as Ed says, we're vulnerable to each other, we talk to each other constantly, we're open to ideas, we're open to, to giving feedback and receiving constructive feedback as well, and, and it goes back to communication and community and what you build from the ground up. Um, I think the biggest thing too that Ed says, it's like, you know, we're not trying to climb some, some invisible corporate ladder here we're, we're we're building something for ourselves so we all are working towards the same trajectory but when you come in you have to know what it is that you want out of your role and out of peer fit and out of the company and to be able to vocalize that be, to be able to communicate that to your leadership to your ceo to have to even have access to your ceo is 
is a new is a new idea in itself because most people never see their CEO. They never touch him. They never. It's just like this vague figure that kind of comes in and out of an office that we don't have, of course. But to be able to have that access and to be able to communicate that to him, I think is the most important thing. All right, so let's talk. I want to bring a little context for everybody who's listening because if people who aren't, you know, in the know of who PeerFit is, I mean, how many of you guys see each other daily? How many people are spread out all over the place? You know, how big? Like, how how many people? Period. Like, how big is the team? Yep. So the way to think about this is there are approximately sixty to sixty-five people. We, as you alluded, we hire so many people a week right now. I, it's tough to say. So, <laughs> we're at sixty people already. Oh, oh yeah, we're almost at sixty-five. <laughs> so there's about sixty-five of us. About twenty of us are all in Tampa, and then there's a bunch of five-person pods. We didn't plan it that way. That's just how it is. So Denver, Jacksonville, Gainesville. And then there's some more smaller pods in Seattle, San Diego, Diego, and then there's about to be a five-person pod in New York City. So it just really worked out that there's a lot of these five-person pods. Mm -hmm. Um, Even the people that live in the same city don't see each other daily. However, we all video chat each other all the time. I mean, Maria, how many times do we talk? So that's how you keep that communication. I I talked to him six times yesterday on the phone before I actually saw him at night. Yeah, so So. we, we talk on the phone a lot. And once again, that's just kind of from me balancing the scales, a lot of people just want to sit on Slack and email all day, and that's fine. I am all about calling. I want to talk to people on the phone. I want to hear your voice, even if I don't video chat you. I want us to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that is far more productive. We, I mean, our conversations are literally three minute spurts, right? We'll get on, hey, I've got three minutes. Let's talk about this and get off. But if it were through Slack, it just, I just don't think it goes the same way. And we use Slack and we love Slack, but I just think there's a something that happens when you get on the phone with someone. And, and so I would say I travel at least tied for second, if not first in the company. And so I get the privilege of seeing a lot of people on a daily basis. I would say that I see half the company every 60 to 90 days. Every six months, we see everyone because we get everyone together every six months. So even if you're someone who doesn't travel and you're a one-person pod and no one's around you, every six months, the whole company gets together in person. Yeah. Being here in Gainesville, we have a small pod, but same thing. We don't see each other regularly, I think, because we're just all a little spread out and we're all in different departments. But even Anna and I, we're in the same department, but we don't even get to see each other because the fact that we are remote, it gives us that flexibility to travel a bit more um, and to be able to meet up with other team members. But definitely being having the ability to just talk to each other, having video chats regularly, it feels like we're side by side for sure a lot of the times. I mean, do you guys have... A schedule that you're doing these video chats on, or is it yeah. just completely random? Yeah, so we've got twice a week meetings, a departmental. Okay. We've got one, you know, one time a week where all the entire leadership gets on and okay. make sure to touch. So we do have set schedules of, of times we talk, or it's random. And I need you for two minutes. Let me mm-hmm. give you a call, kind of thing, too. But we do have set, like um, most departments have set meetings where where they make sure to talk to each other. We're very well organized. Yes, despite what we look like today, <laughs> we are very well organized. <laughs> I mean, that, that's critically important, right? I yeah. mean, it's. That's why I, I hired an assistant because I'm not the most organized individual, um, and and I need that scheduling. I need to know that I'm like, you know. Mm-hmm. So sticky. important lesson right there. The important lesson of anyone professionally: know what your weaknesses are, and figure out how to solve them. Either you need to get good at them, or you need to get someone else who's good and manages them for you. All right. So what are your and, what are your weaknesses? 
that's the same thing as my strengths, right? Your strengths are your weaknesses. So I'm very aware that I do best when I get to hop around and come into meetings, give my input and hop out, which thus means that I don't get to stay and see projects through or I don't stay and see projects through. So Maria and Jason Perry's, our chief strategy officer, are meant to be me when I'm not in the room. So I, I know that I, I'm not going to be valuable to anyone if I stay in a project too long. I, I'm disruptive by nature, which is why I'm good to come in and be disruptive for a few moments, give you guys some you know, good insight, food input, for food for thought, and then get the heck out of there before I keep stepping on everyone's toes. Yeah. And just figure out how to execute on that one Ed Spurt, as I call it, where he just <laughs> came in and is like, okay, let's build, uh, Richard Branson, let's figure out how to get that up and running per Ed. So. <laughs> Circling back to the culture, I mean, I, I, one thing is that, from the outside in, you know, somebody who observes. We look like a cult? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> it does, I mean, in a way it does. We're, we're I mean, cultish, it's look, okay. I'm, we, I'm wearing I mean, perfect okay shoes. Anna, I'm wearing like perfect last, shoes. Last night, I mean, she's she's messaging me, she's like, hey, like, we're gonna go around stadiums after the podcast, like, yeah. do you wanna come? And, and like, you guys make these very intentional efforts that when you are going to the pods and and, and groups that you guys are doing these, these events together, whether it's working out mm-hmm. or, or I saw like going to a baseball game and like, I think Boston, I think? Yep, Boston. Uh, you know, like, these these, these things, I mean, how, like what, what should businesses be doing in order, I, I just feel like that effort is so great that you guys are yeah. doing that and that more businesses need to, um, but I just feel like it's so challenging sometimes. I mean. You know, the way I look at it is. How do you prioritize that, I yeah, guess is what I'm asking. I, I spend more time with peer fitters. Time is, of course, relative because I don't actually see anybody. I'm home in, in my office, at my home office, but I spend more time with peer fit employees than I do with my own family. It's just reality, we all do, right? Because where we work is we, where we spend the most of our time. So why wouldn't we want to build those build those relationships there? These people, the, the people that you work with should be should become family because you're gonna spend the most time with them. I mean, I'll tell you kind of a result of the the culture is we just did sales training in Atlanta with all of our, our sales team and there are two different sales teams. A bunch of them will get up there early or they'll stay behind afterwards. So they'll mm-hmm. go up to Atlanta for sales training and then stay on their own dime through the weekend to all just hang out together. Boston, for instance, you, you alluded to we were up there. A bunch of our team stayed up there in Boston for the weekend afterwards and just hung out with each other. The, the, the culture, and once again, these are people who didn't know each other really before or barely knew each other before and they've just become family. They've become family and once again, it's just an open community that hopefully we have built where no one's telling them to get together. They're just doing it because man, it's, it's a great group of people. With everybody in the different pods, like how well do the different pods know each other? Like, I mean, I know you're pulling everybody together for well, these events and stuff, so, but like, how do you, so how do you this, encourage that kind of communication? Sure. Pods between? have nothing to do with what department you're in. So yeah. there's really two facets of the world. Oh, wow. There's what department are you in, and then what city do you live in? So like, I'll use the New York City one for an example. That pod that's about to be has almost one person from every different department. Here in Gainesville, <laughs> you've got different departments. Tampa obviously has a lot of people, but like, where we choose to hire people has nothing, we don't care where you live. It just, are you the best for that department? And so you just end up seeing these clusters of people. Hey, um, you know, Shirley and Jordan live in Seattle. Okay, so that's from the marketing team and the enterprise health team. In Denver, you've got a handful of people. You've got a graphic designer. You've got somebody from the wellness solutions team. You've got somebody from the enterprise health team. It's just, the, the pods all know each other 
city-wise well generally but almost you know your department better than you know your geopod sure. mm-hmm. yeah, because you spend oh, the most using like geopod geopod i like that that's cool <laughs> we just coined a new phrase right here geopod. on the podcast <laughs> yeah. it's for remote working make sure you find geopods <laughs> i mean it, it to me it's it's fascinating mm-hmm. like that you're able to create that kind of culture with that kind of that's healthy culture um, with people just scattered all over the place. Mm-hmm. Healthy and also being a pun because we're all very healthy because we work out. <laughs> so healthy. I mean, mad mad props to you guys. The one, um, the one thing I really like about you guys too is you know there's a lot of companies out there with negative cultures or developing cultures or they're just in an d- industry that doesn't think about that. I do some stuff with a law firm and it's it's just very different. Um, but PeerFit, you know, when you partner up with an employer like that, it might be their first chance to kind of flip the company culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting and why people really like the company and like what it can provide their employees. You know, maybe it's their first time they've worked out together or even gone out together out of the office. Is that, you know, something that kind of motivates the team? Is not only is your own company culture awesome, you're flipping cultures along with you know solving wellness. It's pretty cool. What we always try to tell everyone is we try to infect every one of our employer clients with a bit of our culture. That's, that's really the goal, yeah. right? We live our own product. PeerFit is a product that our team uses. And by the way, we, we treat um, Jenny and Emma who handle our account, they're, they're Emma's our vice president of Enterprise Health and Jenny is an account manager, our first account manager we ever hired and, and now has been here this whole time. She's from Gainesville. And you know, we look at it and say, I want you to treat PeerFit like one of the employer clients. I, the CEO, have agreed to use PeerFit and we're paying for it and I wanna see the reports every month if it's working, do we need to change anything? And, and so that we know what the experience is like. But yeah, we, I mean, we try to infect every one of our employer clients that say, Maybe your culture's been stagnant or non-existent, but we can help you. Because we've seen it work with our own team, we've seen it work in blue collar, white collar, rural, multi-site, urban, regardless of the industry, we've seen it work. I think there's a there's a there's always a tendency when people want to build culture, it's like, oh, let's bring things in. Let's, you know, nap pods or ping pong tables or things that they think are going to improve some culture. But really, it has to build from within. It has to start from the people that you have there. And, we, we, you know, working out, going to classes together, it's just another way for the community to come together. And they will help build your culture. They will help develop it. If culture isn't about the person-to-person engagement in community, then you're building it wrong. If you think culture is fun, right? Oh, we're gonna build a fun culture because we're gonna, a ping pong table. You've missed the point. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanna go on this all day. (laughs) Like I can literally talk about culture all day long. I just, I I love it so much and I just, you know, uh, am fascinated by what you guys do and and, and thank you, thank you for being that that business, thank you. I I mean, it's it's awesome to see companies like this stem out of Gainesville and, and, and then just go off and have all of this success and continued growth. I mean, I'm just pumped to even know you and you know be in your presence right now you guys it, i mean it, it, this is what's so cool for me because i get to like interview you guys and we get to interview you guys and like i get to start my morning now like super inspired <laughs> you know so so it's great so thank you guys so much for being being here we got to wrap up but i i have more questions so i've got one you, i've got one last thing. okay um i just wanted to put you guys on the spot real quick good cause, luck because i'm a golfer so <laughs> as PeerFit develops, 
what additional kind of wellness solutions are you looking to add? You know, you can do yoga, you can do bar, Pilates, but maybe some people in some industries or companies want something additional to that. You know, if it's spa-related stuff or golf-related stuff, you know, is that kind sure. of in the hopper or how do you guys keep keep moving? So this is kind of a really simple answer, which is we try not to build what we want. Yeah. We're a reflection of two mirrors, actually. What are the employers and carriers willing to fund and what is it that are people wanting to use? You have to have both in balance because the carriers might say, I'm only willing to pay for pure, normal, regular, class-based fitness. And the individuals might be like, I wanna go to goat yoga and I wanna be able to go get <laughs> acupunctures with my wellness dollars. Yes. And so once again, you have to bounce them. We're agnostic to that. I, look, I can tell you, I really don't care what you do. I, I really don't care what class. I know what classes I like, but I, it does not matter to me at all what you do. But I, we do have to balance what is the payers willing to fund? Mm -hmm. And what can we actually scale on, on scale, bring into the network and manage and touch the data? Because you might have these two align. I want to spend my money on butterfly museum trips and both sides are on par with that. But if I can't check that you actually went, yeah. then, then we can't bring no, that into the yeah. network, yeah. So, so has Goat Yoga made it? Uh, I know. I, look, I'm not kidding. Some people say Shirley did goat yoga, didn't she? So I think someone we else. We do have goat yoga. Yeah. 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 Goat yoga. And, and Shirley's from Gainesville. I think she was one of the first ones to bring it to us. But yeah. 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 You know, and I think you bring up a great point, too, because it's talking about other wellness solutions. But the way I look at it, too, and being a mom, and, and it's a little bit different for me, but what is it going to what can make my life easier to go to workout? Maybe it's childcare. Maybe it's a, um, an Uber ride to my workout class. It's it's for for what I when I think about wellness solutions, it's about the act of of making it easier for someone to work out. That's that's our value prop mm. there. It's we want to make it easy and fun for you to be active. So whatever we can do to get you there, let's try and work. Let's try and figure that out because in the end, that's going to benefit the employer the most. If I can use my perfect credits to have someone watch my kid while I go work out, everybody wins there. Well, it's a cute kid, so it shouldn't be difficult. Exactly. <laughs> uh, shout out to Baby P. Yep. No, I mean, look, I always tell people, you can either be the wheel or the grease to the wheel. Figure out what you want to be. It's very tough to be yep. both. And for us, we're not the wellness activity. I, in fact, we always tell everyone, we're really just a fintech company inside of we're wellness. We're a currency. We're not really a wellness activity. We're just a currency and kind of the marketing engagement side to help make sure you go. And so we're the grease to the wheel. There's the payers and on the other side are the experiences and we're that billion dollar bridge that connects the two of them. That's awesome. Guys, thanks again so much for being here. Thanks real, for having us. Real yeah. quick, I'm, I'm gonna, everybody, we will do a side hustle. I'm gonna, I have like three or four more questions I'm gonna get answered so you can go check it out and um, you know, check out check out their side hustle. But finally, before we wrap up, what is, you know, where can people find you? Where where do they need to go? Purefit.com. Okay, and any Easy. social media tags? Absolutely, all at Purefit. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So hope to see you all on the other side for sure. There you go, guys. So again, thank you so much. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you share this episode. This is my my call to action. I haven't done very many. I We we need to show off companies exactly like PeerFit. So you guys share this, get it out there into the world. And thank you again so much for listening. This is the WHOA GNV podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa.
Uh, I was hoping. Uh, I, I, I pointed. I pointed that time. I pointed that time. I was hoping everybody would do it. Like that will become a thing as these get exposed. Rehearsal. Rehearsal next time. Rehearsal. We'll see you later. Bye.